From the break, folks, this is Shepard, the Voluntarist, with your favorite radio station, your favorite show on the station, right? Let's think. Thanks for being on today, listening, and hopefully learning a thing or two, hopefully calling in and giving us your opinion as well. Uh, on the line right now is my friend Kason Bryden. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. How about you, Shepard? Well, just wonderful. We are kind of talking about rights today, and uh, we're, we're just talking about the different aspects of uh, of what are rights that we care about. Is there such a thing, et cetera, et cetera? And I, I've heard of this concept of uh, negative rights and positive rights. Are you familiar with that? I'm moderately familiar with it, but go ahead and break it down for me Barney style. What do you mean by that? What do you mean, I think, is the important component to get? What do you define? Yeah, kind of the way I understand it is that uh, there are rights basically fall into two categories, and one would be a negative right, which would be that uh, you are not allowed to do something to me. I have the right to not be punched by you. And so that would be a negative right. And then a positive right would be something that I expect from you, uh, like if I expected, if you were a doctor and I expected you to provide me with uh, free health care, the free health care would be a positive right and you not punching me would be a negative right. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. And what do you think of of those? What are some of the, can you think of any rights that are negative rights that you believe in? Like, what are some of the basics? Do you believe in the Bill of Rights or what are some of yours? Well, so I think most people, and, and this is what I subscribe to, that there's kind of big four no-nos that that are floating out there. Assault, theft, murder, and rape. Nobody wants to uh, have those things done to them, so we kind of agree, hey, I'm not going to assault you. I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to murder you. Um, and in return, everybody else kind of abides by that. It sounds like all four of those are negative rights. Yeah, so those are all negative rights. Um, as far as positive rights, the only things I could think of would maybe be if somebody promised uh, – you use the example of somebody providing a service. If somebody promised that to you and they made a, a contract, whether it be written or verbal or however you want to uh, describe contracts. Yeah, if I paid you to give to, to set my leg if I ever needed it and we had that contract, it's kind of part of honesty almost, which isn't a right but a, a good idea. So whenever you say right, just not positive, not negative, what is a right to Shepard? You know, I'm struggling with that right now. Uh, one of the – to me, a right is something that is just kind of universally – I don't know if it's called natural law. I've heard that term. Uh, but there's just kind of a basic thing that humans shouldn't – maybe that's just a preference – but humans shouldn't rape, steal, murder, et cetera, et cetera. So – I, I kind of see it as, as very similar to what you were describing. Sure, sure. Well, I have a couple different thoughts that I've uh, stumbled across. One was by a guy named uh, Stefan Molyneux uh, who wrote a book called Universally Preferable Behavior. And 
in it, he put forth kind of a thesis, and that thesis goes something like this. I'm going to butcher it a little bit because it's from memory and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, it goes something like this. Uh, things – whenever somebody uses the word uh, true, it means that it conforms to the rules of logic and it has some kind of empirical evidence behind it. And the framework for ethics put forth in, in that particular book I think is kind of like applying the scientific method to ethics, like what we can do and what we can't do. And if somebody's doing the thing that we can't do or ought not – I shouldn't say can't. I should say ought not, I suppose, to clarify that, that we could use some kind of force to stop them. Like if somebody's stealing from me, I can, you know, I can hold them back and say that's my wallet. Give it back. Um, because in science, you can't say something that's self-contradictory as far as I predict when I drop this rock that it will fall both down and up simultaneously. We don't even have to do any kind of imp- – we don't have to do any empirical testing. Right, because they're opposites, yeah. Yeah, and then let's say that we had an internally consistent theory such as I believe that this rock when dropped will fall upwards. Well, it's internally consistent, but once we move on to empirical testing, it kind of falls apart because it would fall towards – what we call down or just towards the the greatest mass in the area, e.g. Earth. Um, Okay. Well, is there a way to empirically test uh, at all, a right at all, if we took stealing? Is there a way to test if that's good or not? Well, so I think the the idea of stealing would be that I own a thing and uh, bad man Bob comes down the street and he wants to take that thing from me. But it's self-contradictory for him to want to steal because the only reason that somebody would want to steal would be to own that thing that they have stolen, to have exclusive right of refusal over that thing that they steal. So let's say it's my wallet. It has uh, some money in it. They want the money. They want to use the money. They want to invoke property upon that which they have stolen, which would be a self-contradictory thing. So we don't even need to go to – evidence but if we looked at the evidence it's not a good thing for those that happen like if you want to go through like the consequential uh downspouts of it but how how can it be if i'm looking at if i'm thinking about in the term of right terms of rights if i really think you have uh, let's say but let's keep it with the uh, bad guy bob bob sees your apple tree and it has 100 apples on it he knows you're not going to eat them all what is wrong with him sneaking up there and taking one? What what makes that wrong? What gives you the right to keep all hundred of your apples? Oh, sure. So I think that has to do with property systems, which is how we de- define who owns what um, whenever it comes to scarce resources, which if you're into economics, pretty much everything these days is scarce, it seems, from apples to monies. It does seem that way. So really, it's almost like we're philosophizing midstream about rights whenever maybe what rights uh, – the foundation of them is really kind of based in a property ethic, which – how do you determine what property is whose? Does property exist? Like these are kinds of questions that would probably warrant investigation. Right. And and I was actually earlier this week guest hosting on a show, and that was our, our topic was uh, the idea of property rights and – you know, we thought about the the people who don't agree with me. I believe in individualism, but we were thinking of the collectivism, the people that are in, in into collectivism, and how their understanding is kind of the Marxist view is that it's okay to own property 
that you're personally using, like a hairbrush. Uh, you cannot, as an individual, though, own a factory because that should be the community good. And then something in the middle would be a hammer. Uh, and a hammer would be, uh, if you're just using it around your house, then it's acceptable. But if you went out and tried to make money with it or get more capital from using it, uh, that then it would no longer be acceptable for a person to have it. So I imagine if we were speaking with somebody who had that worldview of property, we wouldn't have a good enough foundation to even move on to to something like rights. Yeah, I think we'd have to agree on the fundamental principle because whenever it comes to a property system, I would look for something that causes the least amount of rivalrousness over resources, which I think whenever you boil it down, comes down to first use. I'm the first one that used my body. I'm the first one that uh, picks up that hammer if I you know, made it. Uh, maybe I'm the first one that made that factory. So I think first use would probably divide that up. Who has to agree, though? And, and is that similar to – I've heard the homesteading theory uh, or the, the theory of homesteading that if you get there and you claim it and you put it to use, it's yours. And, and, and there's been something with that theory and, and first use that I've never really understood. And that's the idea that let's say I, I go out and uh, am very good at doing a thing. Let's say I'm good at software and I make uh, 50 billion bucks and I want to go out and, and have a beautiful home with a beautiful view of the mountains and I don't want any other houses in the way. And I would like to uh, use the big open space there for my view. Somebody else might want to use it to grow crops. I want to use it for my view. Who gets to decide what putting to use is? Does it have to be something that everybody agrees is productive use or is rich dude looking out over a 20-mile expanse to the mountains? Am I using those 20 miles for use? Have have you heard anything about how to kind of break that down in a person's mind? So that's something I've I've thought about in the past um around the idea of things that aren't something I can put in my pocket or put in a backpack something that's large, what constitutes use? Is climbing a mountain constituting use? Um, and I think these may not be something that can be answered at the level of first principles, like starting from A is A, the law of non-contradiction. But it seems like that would be something that people do have to reach consensus on to decrease rivalrousness, where it comes down to, hey, I really want to own this plot of land, like I think if I if I put up stakes um, and like made a fence, I think we could clearly delineate I'm making use of this land, whether it be a small piece or a large piece. Someone else got there first. But whenever it comes to oh, I really enjoy this view, I don't think I don't think you could do that without somehow making uh, some kind of demarcation uh, from nature. I'm not saying that that demarcation is needed to make the valid claim of I've made use, but it certainly helps. In the same way, someone could make an agreement to do something, and you don't write it down in a contract, but that contract gives you the evidence of it in reality that you can demonstrate to other people and say, look, this is what happened. Right. Well, maybe once I go out and make my $50 billion, I will just buy it from people who have homesteaded on smaller spots and <laughs> figure something out like that. Kaysen, thank you so much for being on the show today, and I hope you'll join us in the future. I, I love chatting with bright people, and you clearly are. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. We will be back to talk more about rights. Please do join the conversation. 
Our phone number is 406-646-6121. Let'sThinkShow.com. We'll be back. We'll be back.